Welcome to the Women's E News Indigenous Women Speak Out series, a series that tells of the origin of work and lives of female leaders of Indigenous and First Nation communities in both the U.S. and Canada to spread light on their call for environmental advocacy, cultural preservation, and improving health and human services. These women have a uniquely valued place in Indigenous cultures that can help raise respect for women's special wisdom throughout the world. Join us. Hello, bonjour, Annie Adamak. It is so nice to meet you and to see you. Thank you for joining us. Kluani is a Yukon Regional Chief. She's been a leader since 2018 at the Assembly of First Nations here in Canada. And my name is Martha Troyan. I am an Indigenous investigative journalist and producer based in Canada. Yeah, and I'm just so happy to be here. So thank you for uh, joining us. Could you introduce yourself to us, your name, uh, traditional name, your nation and clan for us first? Dunj a Kluani Adamek Uye, Dachloe di Ayahat, Ageo Hatua Sauk, Kluan Mankai Iche, Asua Agnes Johnson, Southern Toshoni Uye, Asia Russell Dixon, Clinkett Enach, Gunachish Ta'an, Gunachish Kwanlin Dun. My name is Kluani Adamek, and I come from Kluani First Nation, which is in the southwest part of the Yukon Territory in northern Canada. And I am part of the Dachlawedi, uh, the killer whale clan, and very honored to carry my great-great-great-grandmother's name, Age, uh, which, uh, as we understand, means daughter of the lake. My late grandmother was Agnes Johnson, who was Southern Toshone, and my late grandfather was Russell Dixon, who was Clinkett. And so uh, really honored to also continue the legacy of, uh, of course, um, our ancestors and grandparents. Um, I also have um, Irish and Scottish and German um, ancestry as well. So want to uh, acknowledge the, the resiliency of all my ancestors. Nice. Thank you so much for that. I'm wondering, what are you most proud of when it comes comes to your to your people to your nation uh, to your community you know it's especially this year um, and it's it's been so hard uh, there there's also been I think through through it all um, we've seen you know young young people's lives being taken and we continue to see um, women's lives being taken too soon indigenous women and so what I'm most proud of is in those moments that are so hard and so real and so raw that, you know, Indigenous people and in particular Northerners continue to be so resilient and continue to lead solutions and develop solutions on the ground. And I've definitely seen, I think, during this pandemic, people come together in a really different way. And, and that, I think, really speaks to the strength and the resilience that we have as Indigenous peoples. Thank you. It's very nice. And I, I guess if we can kind of transition to your career, um, I'm kind of wondering, um, how did you get involved in politics in the first place? Was that something that you kind of like knew that you were going to get involved in? And also now that you are involved in politics, is there anything that surprised you about the work itself? And politics for me had, you know, it, it's something I got involved with kind of indirectly. I was a member of the AFN National Youth Council. And so I had this opportunity as a, you know, representative for the Yukon region to go to some AFN assemblies. And I was blown away. 
Um, it was so incredible to meet all these young people from across the country, coast to coast to coast, that were so committed to advancing priorities and solutions and were driven. And I realized that there was a whole different space and place for First Nations people to come together at the national level. And while we're also different, there's so many different languages. Um, our protocols in a lot of ways and ceremonies can be different. There's also so much that is similar and, and our lived experiences that, you know, we're stronger together. And so that I, I felt that momentum um, of, you know, the collective, I'll say, um, which led me to get a little more involved in politics from a, you know, Indigenous perspective, but also in, you know, territorial and federal politics here and there. But certainly for me, um, and putting my name forward to serve as Yukon Regional Chief uh, was terrifying. <laughs> No question. And at the time, there was one woman who was kind of outgoing in her role, former interim regional chief Maureen Chapman from British Columbia. So for those listeners, you know, the AFN has 10 regional chiefs and one national chief. And so there had never been more than one or two, and I stand to be corrected, but that's my understanding, women who had been elected at one any given time. And so I felt like, based on my experience being on the Youth Council, I, I worked for former National Chief Alio. And so I realized and saw this like, really important opportunity for both the next generation of leaders, so to speak, and women, um, because I come from a region that is in, entirely matriarchal and matrilineal. So we have a clan system. I, I shared with you the clan I'm from, and I'm honored to have been brought into that clan. And what's so important is I'm the third female identifying as a woman regional chief to serve in this region, but there are still regions across this country that have never elected a woman. And so after being you know, first appointed as interim and then elected, we saw Ontario for the first time elect a woman, which was incredible, and then Alberta. And you know this momentum and this shift that is so real and so needed. And so for me, back to, I think, your earlier question, which was like, how did I get involved? It, it was really about, you know, the energy that that I saw amongst others and the inspiration, I think, that was created through seeing people um, in, in, in these elected leadership positions, but also seeing people on the ground who were working to implement all the things that we were talking about, you know, whether it was housing to environment to education. So, I felt that and I wanted to be a part of that, realized that there are different ways that all of us have to contribute and felt and was encouraged by knowledge keepers and others to, to step forward. And so I did. Uh, and so here, here I am at the end of my first term and I'm, you know, feeling really great about what we've accomplished, but there's certainly a lot of work that's yet to be done as well. Um, um, can you also kind of talk about like why it's important to recognize um, the matriarchs before us and like what they can teach us? You know, especially coming from a region uh, and and to be clear, we know, we all know that Indigenous women have very um, specific and important roles across Turtle Island. Uh, and so I, you know, and when I, when I say the Yukon is matriarchal and matrilineal, I know that many other nations and regions are also this way. Uh, but the reason I share that is because we also have a, a clan system um, that is really integral in terms of governance, decision-making, identity. And those systems are pre-existing, right? Canada becoming like a nation state. Those systems mm -hmm. are the governance systems and structures that existed 
for thousands and thousands of years. And it was really interesting to talk to women and, and here in the Yukon, it's so different in terms of the, the way that we look at citizenship. So it's not about status. It's not about blood quantum, so to speak. It's about lineage. And, and that is a really important part of the conversation in terms of the ways in which it is critical to include, not only include, but to have women be at every space and place decisions are being made mm-hmm. is because it was always like that. And we really lost because of residential school and colonization and all those impacts. We really, you know, people are struggling, I think, really to find their place. Um, We all are, I think, especially as an intergenerational survivor of residential school, those roles really shifted in, in a lot of those, you know, archaic and colonial systems. And so it is absolutely about bringing back the ways of knowing and being and the worldview. Uh, and and that really, you know, and I really want to acknowledge the matriarchs here in the Yukon. My grandmother, she passed away during the pandemic. It's been incredibly hard. Oh, wow. But something she always told me was also that this generation has a different challenge and a different responsibility. And we need to be able to have that balance. And that balance comes from you know, men and women and those who identify that balance also comes from those of us who have mixed ancestry, who are, you know, we're all trying to figure out this moccasin on one foot and stiletto on the other analogy, right? But but that's what it really is about. It's about balance. And our clan system is about balance. There's two moieties, always balanced. Men and women and those who identify and and want to acknowledge this, you know, reality that we're in where we're opening up conversations about gender and and non-binary and conforming. That's all part of who we are too. And so we need to create that space for for life givers and people who have responsibilities for things like water, as we understand, um, Indigenous women specifically. That's who we are. And so it has to be then part of the solutions going forward. The next question I wanted to ask you about was, um, can you kind of talk about the realities of being a young Indigenous woman in leadership today? To all those women that are thinking about it, I think about my grandma, and it's very much attuned to the Nike slogan, but she was not like a Nike ambassador. But she'd always tell me like, Kuwani, stop thinking about it, just do it. You know, and it's like that, I think that reminder of like, get out of your head a little bit, right? It's like, like they say, the while the head and the heart are like the, you know, the closest at the same time, they can be like the, the most disconnected. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and so I think it's so important for, for women to both take our rightful place and to step forward. Is it easy? No. And there's ageism, there's gender-based violence, and that's all very much alive and well, which is unfortunate. And, mm-hmm. and in my experience, mm-hmm. And speaking with, and I'm grateful to have really strong relationships with some of the former regional chiefs, Shirley Adamson and Mary Jane Jim, who have served in this role as regional chief before. Some of the things they dealt with are still things I'm dealing with. And this is like mm. 25 years later. And I'm, I'm being super, yeah. you know, raw and candid because I think it's important to not sugarcoat things, so to speak. Like it mm. isn't easy, but I will say this, the more that we push, the more that we see things change. And the more women, Indigenous women in particular, that we see stepping forward in leadership, and whether that's in an elected position, whether that's leading a community initiative, the vulnerability that we need, that we've taught to kind of 
not celebrate, right? Vulnerability is attuned to weakness. Like that is something I think we really need to address so that we can create more spaces for women to not only be, whether it be elected or be supported in whatever it is they choose, we need to start celebrating courage more. We need to start celebrating and honoring emotion more and being okay with talking about how we feel Mm -hmm. and have that not be seen as emotional. And that's been something that I found really interesting in this role is the kind of double standards that exist for men and women and how much Indigenous men. And I want to give a shout out to all those incredible male allies who are there, um, especially our Indigenous men who stand beside us, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Behind us or in front of us if we need them to. But there's a whole lot of patriarchy and misogyny that still exists. And, And that's something that I think we really need to start to get uncomfortable and have hard conversations about. And I attune it to like, we need to hold up a mirror sometimes and say, wait a minute. We're committing to going on the really important missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls marches. Men are wearing like the Moosehide campaign pants. But in a boardroom, when something inappropriate is said and you say nothing, that's being part of the problem too. And, And that to me is where we have a lot of work to do. And I I really want to acknowledge all those who are part of um, creating the solutions, but I I attune it to this. Being a bystander when you're seeing things that are happening that aren't appropriate and that aren't celebrating women in leadership is just as bad as being a perpetrator of that lateral violence or gender-based violence. I wanted to ask you, though, just a question about environmentalism and climate advocacy and youth leadership are two areas that are very close to your heart. And can you just kind of let us know why those two areas? Well, the first thing I'll say is that my uh, a friend once said, go to Grandma Google. <laughs> but um, if, you Google, <laughs> if you Google Huwani National Park, and this is part of my territory, Kluwani Lake has gone down by like nearly 10 feet, like in the last decade. So there's these stories. There's these stories that my dad told me about one of the, the matriarchs when he was just little mm-hmm. that told him, you need to be ready for when Kluwani Lake becomes a river. And so now we're seeing the huge impacts that global warming and climate change has had in, in our community. And it, it's it's pretty mind-blowing. Like when you go and you look at Google Kluwani National Park and lowered lake levels, anyway, you'll see, you'll see. It's pretty wild. But basically what happens, right, is what's happened is a glacier has receded beyond the point where the water would have gone through the Slims River or Aichu, it's now going another way. So it's been diverted. But that's because the glacier is melting so, so quickly. And so here we are as a nation that like totally depends on fishing. Luani Lake, uh, Luanman is part of our identity at our core. And so we're seeing this happen on the ground. We're seeing up an old crow, right? Like riverbanks receding to the point where people are losing their traditional like hunting cabins. So Hmm. the impacts of climate in the North are experienced, as we know, three times faster than anywhere else. It's part of a daily for us. And so it's, it's naturally something that as a, a Yukon First Nations person, as a Clinket and Southern Toshone woman, um, it's part of my responsibility. And so I'm grateful to have been asked to take on that file, so to speak, nationally for First Nations across the country through the AFN. Nice. Um, but it is something that 
that I, um, and I don't live in my community to be clear. Um, my, my family does, I live in Whitehorse, which is the, the urban, um, and the larger kind of city area, but it is, I do, I do feel that sense of responsibility to my core to continue to do whatever we can to minimize those impacts and to, to adapt and mm-hmm. to mitigate. And so on the youth side of things, and this is where I think it is so important. And you're right. My, my passion, and I think will always be, you know, making sure that we create space for young people. And we started in the Yukon, this amazing project, and it came directly from young people and elders. So we had this huge climate gathering last year. Um, we had two, we had a national one and a regional one. And the regional one, we brought together elders from across the Yukon and youth. Hmm. And it was called Shared Heart. It was amazing. People were like painting and writing poetry and singing. And like, it was beautiful. Wow, nice. And what came out of that was that that young people had vision and ideas and that they needed to be supported. So we created a fellowship. Hmm a fellowship that remunerated young people, that remunerated the knowledge keepers who would be part of it, that that gave them, right, a program and a project to be part of where they would then develop their own solutions for their own their own nation. So this is the first year, it's a very unique project, but it came directly from young people and knowledge keepers saying, "Wait a minute, like we've got to formalize these spaces and this relationship, but it's got to be led for and by us." And so that's right. what we did. We created that project. So you can tell I'm really excited about it. I'm very passionate about it. But I do believe that it is this next generation of young people that we need to be looking to because the decisions that we're making today are impacting them directly now. And so we need to make sure that they're part of um, not only the discussion, but that they're part of the decision making too. Is there a message that you would bring to the next upcoming Indigenous leaders? And I'm kind of wondering why it is important to empower emerging leaders and youth. I, I mean, I want I want to give a shout out to, you know, We Matter, who started an incredible initiative. Um, and I think that health and wellness are such important parts of this, these conversations. Um, what I want to say, especially to the young people, but to everybody who's listening, right? Like, mm-hmm. y- you matter. Um, we need everyone to be part of the work. And and there's so many different ways that people can be a part of the work. And it's also being mindful about setting boundaries too, right? Like it's so easy to get, oh, there's this important project and I need to be involved in this and I need to be involved in this. And I you know, find myself getting excited about a whole bunch of things. But equally so, there's a lot of really challenging moments and a lot of really hard conversations. Is there anything else that you would like to say? Martha, we could talk all day, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I think too, like, and, and, and I mean, this is kind of deep dive, but, you know, earlier this year, we saw a really big movement, I would say, start to happen within the Assembly of First Nations, which is really important, which is like to really start to get to the core of like, what do we need to address as it relates to like gender-based violence and kind of the the systemic issues that, again, um, in a lot of ways were were created not on our account, but they've just kind of been kind of formalized into our own processes. And as you mentioned, like the AFN, AFN started as a National Indian Brotherhood, right? And we're now at this place where we're, you know, we are the Assembly of First Nations. I had mentioned, right, there's three out of 10 for the first time ever elected women. We really do have work to do when it comes to educating, I think, 
different generations around kind of what gender equity really looks like. What does that mean? You know, what is appropriate and what isn't? And it's unfortunate that we're still there where we have to do that. Um, And it shouldn't be weighted just on women's shoulders or women and those who identify. And we got to create more space for LGBTQ2S plus people. And I, you know, I identify as a a hetero straight woman. And so I definitely um, am very mindful of not speaking for, I want to see more elected leaders join in that in those conversations of that commitment to both creating that important space, but also being really mindful, right? About, about how we treat people. And that's, I think, one of our biggest teachings, right? Is about respect. And it doesn't matter how you identify, what you look like, how old you are, what gender um, or non-gender, right? That you identify with. It's about who you are and how you show up. And at the end of the day, um, that's what I'd like to see more of. It's been so great to meet you and to talk with you. And we're super excited to get this out into the world. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And to Lori, you know, the innovation, I think, to to put this together and that's that step, right? So wh- whatever I can do to support you in your work, however that might look, if I can um, be helpful, let me know. And, and happy to keep, you know, having conversations. That's important to me. Thank you for joining this edition of the Women's News Indigenous Women Speak Out series. I'm Dr. Lori Sokol, Executive Director of Women's News. To learn more, please visit us at womanzenews.org and follow us at Women's News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please subscribe to this podcast.